Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. In a brief scouring through the internet this week, I was looking for the most common phrases used in rejection letters or interviews where rejection was the result. Top five. Are you ready? Best of luck in your future endeavors. Nothing says rejection with a smile quite like that. Number four, it's just not the best time. Number three, the position has already been filled or its close cousin, the position has been changed. How convenient for the employer. Number two, we need to go in a different direction. And number one, I'm sorry, but... Number one, I'm sorry, but we don't think that this is a good fit. Now, don't raise your hands, but do any of those sound familiar? Please don't raise your hands. Yes, likely some, if maybe not all of those sound familiar, because if there's anything we all know, we are all quite familiar with rejection in one form or another. Maybe it was a job that you were applying for or a promotion. You were trying to close a deal or finish a sale and they thought that it wasn't a good fit. (sighs) Maybe you were a a young little boy or a girl and you looked with aspiring eyes at that person who you wanted to be your significant other and they wished you the best on your endeavors in the opposite direction. (laughs) We've experienced this in one way or another. To have or to experience rejection takes two simple things in addition to yourself. It means you're trying to share in something with somebody else and they want nothing to do with it, whether they're kind about it or not. And with that simplistic definition, it could be an idea that you're trying to share at work. It could be a smile you're trying to get from somebody at the the checkout line in the grocery store or over the gas pump at the gas station. It could be as simple as a recipe or a treat or a snack like we talked about in our children's message. Trying to share something that's meaningful to you that you wish would just give something to the other person and they give you the proverbial or literal Heisman stiff arm. We know all about that in life. It's not a matter of whether or not we have experienced rejection or if we will. It's a matter of when. And that has everything to do with the Christian life too, doesn't it? You as a Christian did not become a Christian because the Christians in your life kept to themselves. And this whole Christian faith thing, they just kept quiet about because they were too terrified that you were going to reject them and so they didn't even say a word to you. That's not how it worked. Not for you. Look at where you are right now. And the only way that happened was because parents, family members, maybe pastors, maybe a missionary, maybe neighbors or coworkers or relatives got over the fact that you might reject. No matter how young or old you were. You and they and I recognize that God calls us to be evangelists, to share the good news of Jesus. That's why we have it. He calls us to be his ambassadors, as though God is making his plea through us. He is. He calls us to be his witnesses, even if that only means that we are simply to tell of what God has done for us in our own way according to our own story. By its very definition, rejection is the area code in which we live our Christian life. You can't avoid it. We always live with it. And that doesn't make it easy, though. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it easy to experience. It doesn't make it easy to talk about. But on these pre-selected and appointed readings that we have today, that's what we come to grips with. 
This isn't exactly every pastor's pet topic. Like, oh, this Sunday I think I want to talk about rejection. People are going to love that. But since it's part of our life, the Lord Jesus wants us to talk about it. He even identifies with us in this great way too as he brings us along with him into his own hometown. How hurt must he have been? The Savior who is fully human, who shares in our weaknesses and understands our sorrows. Everything except sin he gets. He's following in the wake of these miracles and everyone had heard about it and he's even proclaiming God's word to people who knew these words quite well. Today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. And it takes one person. Isn't this that one boy that we saw growing up and all of a sudden the questions start swirling and the skepticism starts winning so much so that they want to drive him out and throw him off a cliff. That's pretty severe. Jesus knows all about rejection. So do these men, Peter and John. Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And you know how the song goes. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms and Peter didn't give him them. That's not how the song goes. But Peter instead raised him so that this man who was crippled could go walking and leaping and praising God. And so not only Peter and John, but this man that everyone had publicly seen was crippled is now walking and leaping and proclaiming the praises of God. And Peter makes very clear that you, dear Jews and other Christians, soon to be Christians in Jerusalem, you, you know that Jesus was crucified and he is raised from the dead. Everyone knew that his tomb was empty and he had appeared to so many people. The evidence is through the roof. And the people who had God's word right in their fingertips seize Peter and John, threaten them, tell them to be quiet. Peter says, how can we help but say the things that we have seen and witnessed with our own eyes? And you, you judge for yourselves whether or not it's wise to obey God rather than people. And then they go back to these other Christians and then look what happens. So is this the time where we Christians kind of lick our wounds, go into the corner and sulk a little bit? Sing kumbaya and have our own little like pity party? That's certainly not what we see with these early Christians. And I would say to you, dear Christian, you have to wrestle with this question at some point in time in your life, if not every day, and you get to today as well. What do you do? What do you do, dear friend, when you are rejected precisely because you are a Christian? Precisely because you know that this world is bankrupt and destined for destruction that there's no answer to death except the one that the Lord Jesus gives through his death and resurrection. What do you do when you are rejected? You need three things, at least. Three things that the Holy Spirit gave to those early Christians in Acts chapter 4. Three things that he also, by his Spirit, gives to you and me today. I invite you to have open that reading that was just shared before. Acts chapter 4, where the Spirit gives three different gifts to Christians, even in the face, especially in spite of rejection. What's that first thing that we need? Reverence. You notice the way that they start talking right away? As soon as Peter and John come in, they, they, they don't decide, you know what, we're going to pray that God would smite these people with electric lasers. Throw down lightning bolts on these. No, they don't. Lord, we want you to give us more reasons. That's not what they say. What is the first thing that they can't help but talk about? They can't help but point heavenward in this prayer and talk about what? How big their God is. With such reverence that only God could give, they can only talk about how the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth, that he puts stars in their place and he causes the seas to stop and they can go no farther without his permission and he makes the oceans teem with creatures that only he could create some of which we've never even heard of or learned of. God is in control. Look at how big God is. 
Is that not important for Christians as they face rejection? I mean, think of how big of a deal we make rejection. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the boogeyman. Kids, you ever, you ever talk about the boogeyman? Something goes bump in the closet. You call for mom and dad, and you're pretty sure that there's this big, scarily, googly, gobbly thing in the closet. Turns out you just don't know how to hang up your coat. Oh, not just my house? And they open the closet and they turn the light on and you get to see, no, the, the boogeyman or whatever you're afraid of in the closet or under the bed that's, that's, that's not real. And it's so cute and we kind of giggle about that as adults except we do the same thing with rejection, don't we? We make a boogeyman out of whatever that person is going to say as though they're going to jump out of some, have some outer body experience and jump out and bite our heads off or we're so afraid. Of, we make this into like this huge monster, but finally, at the end of the day, you have to do what these early Christians did. You have to take their rejection, fine, as bad as you think it is, as big as you think it is, and put it on the scale. But when you do that, you have to throw on the other side of the scale how big your God is. Tell me how big your God is. The one who decided to give you fingerprints that are unique to you who enables you to see sunrises and sunsets that will never be duplicated, all because he loves you. The one who showers you with grace and blessings simply because he loves you. Who even calls you by name and claims his children as his own through baptism so that we would experience grace upon grace. Tell me how big your God is. And then compare that to the size of rejection. Reverence. Holy Spirit, give us reverence. That's not all that the Holy Spirit gave to those people and gives to you and me too. He also gives us, in addition to reverence, a refocusing. Do you know what the, the language of fear is? When you speak, sorry to be a little language geek for a second, you speak in one of three persons. You speak first person, I, we, second person, you, third person, they, them. Do you know what the language of fear is? The language of fear predominantly lives in first and third person. See if this sounds familiar. They are too scary. They know more than I do. They have that intense look on their face. I don't think they are going to listen to me. They live in this world and they know more than I do and they are going to get mad and they're not going to be my friend anymore and they're not going to want to talk to me. Third person. First person. I am too afraid. I am slow of speech. I'm not the smartest tool in the toolbox and I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing and I don't know if I have the eloquence and I am afraid and I can't see and I... That's the language of fear. Always first and third person and notice where the focus is with the language of fear. It's on everyone and everything in the world and on our own inadequacies. Compare the language of fear with first and third person to the language of faith, which is all second person. How many times in this account do you see people talking to God and the only thing they can talk about is, Lord, what you are doing? Your word, what you promise through your servant, and we pray for, that you would give us boldness and we would be your servants. Does that sound like they're scaredy cats to you? Does it sound like they're shaking in their boots? Oh, it sounds like they trust in the God who's about to shake the ground on which they're standing. The language of faith sounds completely different for those who have been blessed with a refocusing because all you can think about is your God and what he gives to you. I'm not thinking about how big and bad they are. I mean, th th think of it. This is what, I, I know it doesn't look all that flashy. When we refocus on God and we're against what seems to be a world that is opposed to us and it looks like the world is winning and it doesn't look flashy. It looks like, I don't know, a little boy walking out 
to the battlefield when the whole army of Israel is too afraid. And yet, what does David say to Goliath? Today, you will know that there is a God in Israel. And with a stone, that giant fell and died. What does it look like? It looks like Elijah, who we think to be this bold, brave soul, and yet of all the ways that God appears to him, it is not through an earthquake or through a fire, but through a small whisper that is God's powerful word. It does not look flashy. It does not look big. But when you and I refocus on the Lord, we know that he often works in these ways, especially in spite of the seismic shifts that are going on in the world around us. This is God's MO. This just so happens to be the way that he works. And think about how this refocusing helps you and me. When we're so focused on what the Lord accomplishes for us, what might that look like for us? It it, it might look like this. What if God told you that although you are afraid of rejection and you have already experienced a a lot of it, that one out of the next 10 people will love and receive the message that you share? What if God told you that? What if God told you that one out of the next 10 people are going to listen to you? Do you think that slight refocusing would help you? You go through the first seven and you're thinking, oh, they rejected me. That was rough. But what would you automatically think? One out of the next three, that's a great batting average. This is going to go great. And you'd be all the more with that type of focus on what God had said to you, you'd be all the more focused that this is going to go great because one of these next three people, they're going to listen. Do you know what God hasn't told you? He hasn't told you that one out of the next ten are going to listen, are going to love it. But that also means he hasn't told you that nine out of the next ten will reject you either. So what has he told you? He has told you that you are his child and he is with you. He's given you this refocusing on his powerful promises and he will never fail you. So guess what? It might be 10 out of 10 who listen. It might be 0 out of 10 who listen. But it's not really about you, is it? If they reject you, are they really rejecting you as a person? Like, no, I kind of don't like the way your nose is crooked. No, that's not whatever happens. Like, oh, I think your eyes should be a different color. No, that's not. If somebody rejects you because you're trying to share God's word with them, it's not about you. What are they rejecting? They're rejecting the message, which helps us refocus and recognize that it's not about us. It's all about you, Lord, and the message you have given us, that we would reach these souls that are made to live forever, and Lord, I know you want them to be with you forever, and they just so happen to be in my life that you would reach them through me. It's all about you, Lord. You see how that refocusing changes things? God, through his spirit, needs to and will give us reverence, a refocusing, and third and finally, a resilience. Did you see the prayer that they prayed at the end? Go ahead and open up to that lesson. Right towards the end, verse 29, look at that as I read it. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your work with great boldness. They ask for boldness, but what do they first say? Consider their threats. They knew this wasn't going to be easy. The threats against their life? Do you know what happened shortly after this? A great persecution would break out in Jerusalem, and guess what would happen? They would be spread hither and yon so that so many people throughout the region far beyond Jerusalem would get to hear about a Savior who loves the world, and that includes them. So what did God work through? He worked through rejection to further embolden them. 
tell me for a second, raise your hand. This time, you please do raise your hand. Raise your hand if you identify with being a bold ambassador of Christ in the face of rejection. Raise your hand if you think when it comes to, I'm bold, I'm ready to share God's word in the face of rejection. Raise your hand. Even pastor? Mm-hmm. I would never classify myself that way. So many times I am after the approval of that person, even if it's a stranger, that I would hate to make them upset or to think less of me. And here I am in the language of fear, thinking about them and me and me and them, and all the while, I'm afraid. Can you relate? We can join others, though. Moses, he thought he didn't have the right words to say. Elijah, he prayed and fire came down, and right after fire came down, guess what he did? He ran away and asked God to kill him. You know who else we can relate with? How about Peter, who was afraid of a little girl by a fire who might identify him as one of Jesus' disciples? Or John, one of the many disciples who, who, and followers who were nowhere to be found when Jesus was captured and crucified. And yet, where do you see them all now? Where do you find Moses as he gives his witness to the most powerful man in the world called Pharaoh? Where do you see Elijah as God tells him, there's still 7,000, you little baby, get up. You've got to pass the mantle on to the next one. God didn't call him a baby. I called him that. And I can call him that because I can relate according to my own fears. Where do you see Peter and John except standing among these Christians and even standing with you so you would know what? Boldness is not this switch that you flip. Resilience is not this thing that you must muster up. I mean, imagine if that was the message you left with today. All right, now go up there and just be more resilient. Ready, break. And then what would you think the next time you got scared? I'm a failure. But that's not what God tells you in his word. This boldness that they pray for, they're asking the Holy Spirit to give it to them through the word. And so every single time you are in God's house and you were in his word, whether it is a devotion on your recliner, it is around the table together as a family, or it's here in God's house, the Holy Spirit is emboldening you. So what? You would know what to say. And do you know how valuable that is? Do you know with that one person who might reject you in your life, do you know that your personal story matters far more than the most eloquent preacher and the greatest commentary of the smartest theologian alive? Did you know that? All you can share is, I just want to tell you my story. And that matters more than all of that other fluff. Are you able to do that? Bobblehead with me, please. You are able. Because you know exactly what Jesus has given you. Do you know that it can take a simple word and God can work through that to change hearts? And that responsibility is his. That eternal destination is his to give. It takes the load off when we remember that. And it even emboldens us further. Do you know what else gives us this greatest boldness ever? Is when you realize that God works through rejection and it just so happened to be the way that he reached you. How many people were rejected? in your family tree or rejected God in your family tree before somebody finally reached them and that was exactly how you became a child of God or maybe somebody nearby so that that missionary came to your family or that pastor just got a stiff arm to the face but you were the next person. Maybe it was a friend or a coworker who wasn't afraid. God works through rejection. You are living proof 
how your God must love you, even the gospel itself. Jesus was rejected by the world so that he would be taken to the cross, so that he would die and pay for all our sins and rise to give us eternal life. God works through rejection, though the world flexes its muscles the most. God is behind the scenes, not only smiling, but laughing, thwarting the plans of the rulers of this world in order to reach us. How much more to reach the next people through us? I I can't help but think of a man from a church I used to belong to a while ago where he, he was always bold to speak up in Bible class, and that's a place to do that. That's okay. He said, we gotta share Jesus. There's people that are going to hell, and one day the pastor said, said to him, when was the last time you were rejected? And the man's confident demeanor suddenly switched, and he said, just this morning. Just this morning. He said, yeah, every Sunday morning I go down to the park downtown, and, and I've been meeting this man, and we, just, we have a lot of similarities in life, and we just kind of walk and talk and share life about our family, our kids, et cetera, and we have a lot to, to connect, and I just, I'm, I'm terrified because my daughter won't talk to me. All my neighbors think I'm a freak, so when I go outside, they go inside. Nobody else really wants to be around me. And I finally found what seems to be a good friend, and I'm afraid that when I share Jesus, he's going to reject me too. Little old lady who was sitting right next to him, who hardly ever said a word, said, but what if I go with you? He said, would you? Yeah, I'll go with you. I don't know how many weeks went by, but who was sitting right in between that man and that old lady? this new friend that they met walking in the park. And a little while later, that old lady was called home to heaven and that man who didn't know his Savior was able to see through tear-filled eyes that God calls his children home to heaven and there's nothing better in all of the world than that. You have no idea. You have no idea what God has in store for the people in your life. You have no idea if the very next person would be lost forever, except God has put you right there, right then and there, to share his message. After all, he's, he's given you a reverence to remember how big he is compared to any rejection in this world. How big is your God? He's also given you a refocusing so that your focus is entirely on him, Lord. You, Lord. You, you, you. It's your message. And also a resilience by his spirit. The one who fulfills his promises in and through you will never fail you. May God grant us such a spirit, even, even in the face of rejection. Amen.